Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey, uh, welcome hey. to the podcast. Father John, my good friend, my good, good buddy, Joe Doman. Thanks, man. From the Doman clan of Philadelphia. It's Muffer and Sons, for those who don't know, um, they are the greatest band of all time. I'm surprised <laughs> you haven't heard of them if you haven't. Uh, they're from England, and they came to Red Rocks. Red Rocks Amphitheater, which is the greatest amphitheater, amphitheater of, all of all time. So it was really the greatest concert moment ever, ever, ever of all time. Well, supposedly the night after was better than ours because there was two nights in the second one they recorded. No, I had some friends who were there and they said it wasn't any fun. No. They had zero fun. Zero fun. Yeah, but we had the best night of our lives. At the best concert ever. It was awesome. That's amazing. But The Cave, which is their most popular song, um, at least right now it is, uh, so few people know this, but it, you know that's about St. Francis? No, I didn't know that. I thought it was about Plato's allegory in the cave. A lot of people think it's about, uh, I think a lot of people think it's about Plato's allegory in the cave. But no, um, one of my old Bible study guys, Sean McPherson, took a class on G.K. Chesterton. And he was like, dude. And uh, he's really into Mumford as well. And he's been checking out their, they have a, like a book club yeah. on their website. And they read a lot of Chesterton, like regularly. They're, Mumford's just really into Chesterton. Okay. And um, and he's like, no, dude, you have to read St. Francis. Uh, Chesterton's biography of St. Francis of Assisi, chapter 5, it's the cave. There are so many things in that chapter that are like clear images from the cave. And in that chapter, the chapter's about, so it's a little, this is totally not about our podcast, but maybe it will become, who knows. Um, the The chapter in uh, that biography of Francis is about his conversion, Francis' conversion. Ah. So those of you who might know the story of St. Francis, um, he you know had this kind of a, a, a milder conversion, and had this all this trouble with his father, and his father kind of brought him out and chastised him in front of all the people. And so he, he took off all his clothes and everything, and he said, I renounce my earthly father. I have no father but my father in heaven. And he was mocked by the, everybody in the town. They kind of laughed him out. This guy's crazy. And so he leaves the town, and he goes into this cave in the woods. And then he hangs out there and he prays. And, and when, when, he com- when he comes out of the cave, he's like St. Francis. That's when his, like, that was like kind of the beginning of his like real uh. life of Francis kind of life uh, of poverty and everything. And so Chesterton's like, what happened in the cave? Uh, what happened, you know, you know, he goes into the cave as just some failure, a fool, right? Yeah. And what happens in the cave that he comes out like this incredible saint? And he says that he was, he learned to see the world upside down when he happened in the cave. He learned what it meant to be dependent upon God. Huh. Because up to that point, he had other earthly attachments. And at that point, he renounced everything and said, God alone is, you know, he's my only father. He's the only one I have dependence upon. And then he saw everything after that as kind of turned on its head, like being a failure was actually his greatest victory because he 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 could he could be detached even from you know uh the, his reputation and everything and he actually says in there you know it was as if francis you know came out of the cave walking on his hands and seeing the world upside down um and you know the song i mean the last verse of the song the, the song starts off you know it's empty in the valley of your heart the sun yeah. you know away from all the fears and all the faults so he's talking about failure and everything um and uh in the last verse which is the best part of the song he says um, and come out of the cave walking on your hands and see the world hanging upside down. Whoa. You can understand dependence when you know the maker's mind. And then the last part of the song, which is the best, because uh, it's about... Giving me the chills over I here. I know, it's awesome. So he says, the last line of the song is, so make your sirens call. And this is Francis speaking to the world with all its temptations and all the things he used to be dependent upon. He says, make your sirens call and sing all you want. I will not hear what you have to say. 
for I need freedom now, and I need to know how to live my life as it was made to be. Then it's just like, Bruh. whoa, isn't that awesome? That is awesome. So Mumford and Sons, that was so a Catholic. Good, that was a good tangent, and didn't even know it. That's a good tangent. Yeah. Wow. In fact, our uh, our our uh, parallel blog, uh, Bad Catholic. Yeah. They had this uh, article on Mumford that's like you know Mumford and Sons, Catholic in every way except religion, because I think they're like. I think they go to an Anglican church. Actually, okay. they all met at church. Well, the whole band did. Oh, really? Yeah. Cool. I know. Sorry. Right. This is uh. That's all right. This is what we care about. So, how are you going to tie that into the topic? Can we just keep talking about Mumford and Sons? Absolutely. We don't have to do the topic. We haven't posted it yet. Oh, that's right. It could be a secret topic. Well, what are we going to talk about now? So, basically, I don't know. Let's talk about this. Yes. I feel like when I read Mumford, or when I listen to Mumford and Sons, they're not explicitly Christian but that they are grappling with existential issues and dealing with the depths of the heart and kind of what it means to be human, mm-hmm. including the religious sense of man, uh, much, much deeper and more profoundly than 90% of Christian songs. Yeah. Do you experience that? I, I think that's why I love them so much because, I mean, I'm not down on Christian music big time or anything. Um but you know, there's there's this South Park. Not that I ever watched South Park. I've actually just heard <laughs> yeah, about right. this. There's this. I I, I I I've watched a couple episodes of my life. Probably we don't even own a TV. I don't even own a television. But uh, one guy was telling me there's a South Park episode where Cartman's talking about uh, Christian music. He's like, oh yeah, it's really easy. It's just you just write a love song and then you just take the girl's out name and put in Jesus and he starts singing these love songs. And it actually sounds like a lot like Christian songs. Right. Uh, and not not the Watertown because I I'm a musician. I play a lot of this stuff. Um, but uh. But there is there is there there is kind of like a I don't know a superficiality in some Christian music that this just comes across on you listen to K Love or something like that that just doesn't do it for me. Um, but Mumford, I, I love music that are, are written by Christians who are who are real, who are living it, who are grappling kind of with the difficulty of Christianity, um, and they don't kind of just like paint over it with uh, a kind of a. I don't know, pious platitudes and yeah. a spirituality that's kind of like covering their humanity. Yeah. But it's like in their humanity, uh, their their hearts are try- kind of grappling with like, how do I turn to the Lord in this? And, and it's never like explicit. It's never in your face, but it's kind of like latent all the yeah. time. And it comes it comes across in a bunch of their songs, which I think is why I love it because I'm like, that's how my life is. And right. heck, I'm pretty explicitly Christian. I'm wearing a collar all the time. Yeah. But, uh, but I don't just cover over things in my life with like, I don't know. Just like sm- grin and bear it and smile and you know. Well, I'll cover it and just smile it. But also, there's you know one of the temptations that's really dangerous for the Christian is to just draw this hard and fast line between the sacred and the profane. Hmm. You know, the only things that are holy are you know K love and Christian explicitly Christian books and my Christian friends. Everything else is just profanus. It's just profane. It's just of the world. The flesh. Instead of. Mm-hmm. And this is what I think the authentically Catholic difference. This is different than kind of the Protestant uh, world, which is so ironic because Mumford's Protestant. <laughs> but, uh, I know, right? Well, but, this is – yeah. I mean, we see yeah. Protestant as a broad category. I know there's right. there's a lot of Protestants who might not think like this, so that's right. a disclaimer. But uh. That's a good point. And, uh, but kind of the, the classical evangelical style uh, of that um, in the mega churches and that kind of thing would lend itself to that. But basically what, what it means to be Catholic, and we're always talking about this, Joel Barstad, our professor, is great description to see truth wherever it can be found Hmm. and i think that is the most effective and powerful way to uh bring about a desire in young people to be catholic yeah instead of like this is the form you know here's a here's the morality here's the doctrine take it or leave it and you need to jettison everything of your former life like exactly not just like how you lived but like 
the people you love, right. the things that you're into. I mean, in some ways, yeah, your life needs to change and you become a Christian. Right. But uh, Christ sanctifies our humanity. He doesn't kind of replace it with something else. Exactly. And so, I mean, truth can be found. Now, there are things that are just explicitly profane. Right. You know, the music that my brother listens to is just <laughs> ridiculous, you know? But... Uh, How about you just throw your brother under the bus? Well, like, he deserves to be. Thing. Yeah, he deserves to be. Um, he was actually at the Mumford concert as well. So it's not just... Uh, just oh. as I think he has a girlfriend Mumford now. and Sons I think. he now has a girlfriend who has great taste in music so she, she's gonna redeem him so uh, I, I just think that's the key though it's just like uh, it's okay if, you know for the young Catholic or the young Christian to be saying you know I have a deeper encounter with the truth which is Christ always always Christ when I listen to Mumford than when I listen to Caleb or whatever the, the mm. station might be I, I just think that's okay to, to say I think and it's okay to yeah, deal with. I think but it's it, real. I mean, it's kind of like what we were talking about yesterday in our conversation, John, uh, Father John, but about how, like, the literary form. Uh, we were talking about, you know, the difference between reading theology and reading literature that's written by a Catholic with kind of a Catholic intent, latent within it. And Father John was saying how there are these uh, these nuggets of wisdom and truth in them, but you kind of have to unpack them through the literary form. It's not as kind of, like, you know, served you on a platter. Right. Uh, but in some sense, the literary form is beautiful because it teaches us to see truth, to see see truth wherever it is found. And one of my favorite authors is a guy named uh, Michael O'Brien. Many people probably have heard of him. Hopefully, he's I just I'm a huge fan of him, um, and I love his books because they're never like super in your face Christian, but they're just real and they're just about saints, really. But like saints that are in our world every day, kind of saints. Um, and the stuff, what I'll kind of get out of this is like basically how to see. It's a different way of seeing reality. Yeah, it's not kind of like covering over reality with something that's just like, you know, has a Christian label. Right. But it's seeing seeing reality. The world is around us, and seeing how God's grace is kind of permeating it, and working through it, and and learning to be docile and like surrender to it. Right. Um. And and I think that's so important. It's so important to do that literature. It's so important to do that music and everything because that's what we need to do in our own lives. Right. Because our lives are messy. Our lives. We can't just live with a Christian label and be like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian because that can be really really dangerous you know you can call yourself a christian but you know you read the gospel for next week uh which is you know unless you take up your cross and follow me you know you're not my disciple right and it's like oh maybe that's what a christian is maybe it's something a lot more than just saying you know praise be jesus christ all the time and right. smiling and, and putting a christian label on things but literature uh music things like this where it teaches us to see truth in a form uh that is is closer to like humanity and the messiness of humanity teaches us to look at our own lives and see our lives as a drama yes where god is god is the director you know and he's a, he's at work and, and his grace is permeating our own lives and how do you make how do you make sense of the mess of your life how do you make sense of the messiness of of your sufferings um and i think um yeah this is a such an interesting topic but i i think the the great temptation always in the church is to Gnosticism, right? Hmm. It's to the reduce, it's to de-incarnationalize. That's the first temptation. It's the first heresy. Gnosis is the Greek word for knowledge. So Gnosticism, and it's the perennial one. And I think literature and arts uh, and music, poetry, these things, uh, they re, how do I say it? Like incarnationalize the faith that we're kind of always tempted to over-spiritualize. Right. We just kind of reduce ourselves to these spirits and what literature, the literary form, and the artistic and the musical form, and poet, poetic form, what they do is they kind of plunge us back into the messiness of humanity mm-hmm. in a very profound way. And they force us with the realization to say that God's work in history and in my life is far more mysterious and profound 
than we like to think it is. We try and always reduce it because we try and control it uh, because we're afraid and we want to make sense of what God's doing. But sometimes it's just, it doesn't make sense to us. And uh, that's what literature and music um, can do. And, and Michael O'Brien and uh, Bernanos is the guy I'm reading right now. Uh, these are men who just like, their their books are not, these are not positive encouraging. They don't make you feel good, <laughs> but they give you hope. There's kind of a hidden hope beneath the real existential uh, and authentic struggle of what it means to be human. And, and that's what I feel like with Mumford too. Mm-hmm. It's like, even the way that he, he sings, like they're, they're just grappling uh, with these deep, deep things. There's like this like yearning. It's Groaning very... Groaning of the spirit. It is. It's very masculine. And I think that's why it's like, oh, this is... I mean, it's amazing. And and it's resonating on such a powerful level in the world because uh, the way that it's being done, the way that he's singing about it, I mean, it's just captivating people and it's awakening something in mm-hmm. them. I mean, a year ago, this guy played the Fillmore, you know, a small venue here in Denver. And a, one year later... He's selling out Red Rocks and he's traveling all over the world. Two so, nights I mean, in a row, yeah. It's crazy uh, how big this. So there's something in everyone, it seems to me, that is this is being awakened by this kind of very profound. Everyone is paying attention. Everyone's paying attention to the greatest band on the planet, at the greatest venue ever, yes. to the greatest priest and seminary ever. To oh wait, sorry. No, but there is something you're right. Yeah. I think there there's something that's being awakened in a lot of people, and they don't. Even, I mean, people don't know it. I I, I was looking at uh, some stuff online about Mumford and. What people are saying, there's this big argument on a blog about whether or not they're Christian. And I didn't add to the discussion. I was just watch, listening and uh, or reading. And some people were like, you know, no way, this guy's not Christian. You know, look at these words. These aren't Christian lyrics or whatever. And, um, but, it, but a lot of people, my point is that a lot of people are listening to this who aren't even, they're, they're not even uh, catching the Christian themes. But they're, something's speaking to them deeply at the same time, yeah, you know. Yeah, Which is the same reason why I love... You know, like why Brides Ever Visited is right. such a powerful novel for me. Uh, I've never read the novel. I've just seen the uh, TV series put out, not by BBC, but that other one. Um, but Evelyn Waugh, it's one of the greatest. And Terry Wright says it's the greatest Catholic novel. Yeah, it's just, it's beautiful. But you would read it, and I, a lot of, I mean, they remade it. Hollywood remade it, I don't know, a few years ago. And it was oh. like totally, they missed it completely. I didn't see it. I just read reviews on it and saw the preview. And I was like, oh, no, this isn't. They're just not because it's so the the Catholicism is there. I mean, there's a Catholic family and they talk about religion a lot, but it's so messy and the 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 grace and the providence of it and the real intention behind it is so latent. Yeah. Uh, but it's so beautiful because it's like it's real. I'm like this is how this is how people's lives are, you know. And you won't you don't catch the conversion at the end of this at the end of this film or this book. Uh, but if you're if you're Catholic and you're or at least you're sensitive to kind of the the language around it. You know, like I, I'd always um, tell people, if you're Catholic, you'll pick up on stuff right. just because of the culture of Catholicism, right. whereas for other people it might not mean anything. Right. Um, but you'll pick up on things and be like, whoa, that was huge what just happened here. But other people might, it's so latent, it's so kind of under the, uh, under the surface. So there's some good reading for you. If you're like myself and you don't read literature, all I read is like theology and philosophy. And Nobody the, else is like that, don't worry. No one else is like that? Yeah, okay, well, some people one. are like that, but... But then when things get rough, when life gets difficult, uh, I always go to literature. And uh, so we just threw a bunch of great novels. Anything by Michael O'Brien. Island amazing. of the World is Island the one of the I just World, read. Maybe the greatest book Strangers and Sojourners by him. Those are great books. Those are my two favorites. Diary of a Country Priest by Bernanos. That's intense. Yeah. Brides Hitter Visited, great novel. And then buy the new Mumford album in two weeks. Yes. Questions, comments, concerns, fears, anxieties. Uh, Catholic Stuff Podcast at, at gmail.com gmail. on Facebook. We got a couple of comments we got to catch up on, and I think that's about it. That's it. All right. Have All a right, good uh, Have a good week. Okay. Bye bye.